and welcome to episode 38 of Talk Witchcraft Podcast. In this episode, Maggie and I will be talking about beautifying your altar. You're listening to Talk Witchcraft. On this podcast, we talk about witchcraft as a lifestyle and discover how to merge magic into your daily life. Every week, we'll demystify witchy topics like tarot, astrology, crystals, herbs, and more as you develop your personal brand of magic and create the life of your dreams. We're your hosts, the Mystic Sisters, Erica and Maggie. So in this segment of the show, we choose a tarot card for the week and we look for moments that relate to this card in our daily lives. For this episode, we chose the Two of Swords and the theme of this card is a crossroads of thought or opinion. So we have the two of swords, which features this blindfolded and alone person. They're sitting on a hard stone bench at the edge of some body of water. And they're holding two heavy swords across their chest. And to me, I think it's deliberate that they came out here on the bench near the water, blindfolded themselves, picked up these swords in an effort to Um, balance their thoughts and experience this coming together of thought and emotion um, to get sort of like wisdom and clarity and understanding. Yeah, so in a way, the two of swords could represent two options, and you've sort of been weighing these options and you're sorting out your thoughts. Uh, It's not weighing between the options where one is clearly the right choice. So there's nothing comfortable about being blindfolded, folded, sitting on the hard bench while holding the two heavy swords crossed in front of you. This, this is not an easy choice. So when you're faced with these choices, ultimately we have to make a choice. So it's about figuring out which one's the right one for you and freeing yourself from the distractions because no one else can tell you what's right for you. And then just being confident that that is the choice that you made and going forward with it. Yeah. So let's share our stories. Um, Whenever I see this card, I always think about the times where, um, where I just need everyone to be quiet so I can think properly and hear myself think. Um, it's like a sensory overload sort of thing. It's it's also similar to when you have to turn down the radio so that you can see better while driving. It's like, doesn't really make sense, but a lot of people experience that. Um, so that's sort of what I was thinking about, that it's like dimming other emotions, like, you know, putting on blind or dimming other senses, putting over the blindfold over the eyes in order to give yourself a chance to focus on what's actually important, which is making the decision. So not really a specific thing. It's kind of a common thing. I feel like maybe it's um, just having sensory issues all the time. This card comes up for me a lot. For me, I can think of a specific time that it's happened to me because it happened recently. Um, I was totally burned out at my job in the schools and I knew it, but I don't think I realized it until I left. But I was faced with the choice of staying and making everyone around me comfortable, Um, you know, not causing waves for my boss, not having to have all my team members learn a new teammate, 
um, you know, the, the sense of I had a steady job in the midst of COVID and that was a privilege and a blessing. All of these things stacked on the side of staying in the schools. But then on the other, the other choice, my other sword that I was having was this opportunity to join another private clinic. And on that side, it was, it's just going to be more of the same. I had been in lots of clinics before that were terrible, that were run unethically, that didn't follow the rules, um, that worked me really hard and didn't appreciate me. And I was like, am I going to leave a job that I'm burned out at for a job that I've had before that I got burned out at? So it, like none of the choices were really good ones, but I had to make a choice. And then it turns out that going to this new private clinic was one of the best things that I could do because now I have a boss that does appreciate and value me and tells me that on a regular basis. So that's that confidence that I was speaking about earlier. You have to be confident that whatever choice that you make is the right choice for you. So in this episode, as we move along, we are talking about the different kinds of altars And because it's Libra season, we wanted to give you some tips for beautifying yours as well. But first, let's review what an altar is. So an altar is simply your magical workspace. Generally, it is some sort of space in your home that you keep set up. You keep it cleansed and prepared for magical workings, uh, honoring deities and spirits, storing your tools and materials, leaving offerings, if that's part of your practice, and generally engaging in any other magical practice that you do. Many of our ancestors kept an altar in their home, and they would dedicate it to certain gods and goddesses. They would burn candles or incense or leave offerings to their deities in exchange for guidance or prosperity or protection. Right. Altars can serve an important purpose for modern witches as well. And So you may be wondering, do you have to keep an altar? No, of course not. Everything in your practice is optional, but it can be really helpful to keep one if you have the space and if you have the energy to upkeep it. Because it is this space that's dedicated to your magical and spiritual work, it can help you get into the mindset for whatever magic that you're trying to perform. And it also serves as a visual reminder for your practice. I know with my ADHD brain, it is all about out of sight, out of mind. So having an altar is a good reminder for me that, oh, yeah, I could practice witchcraft. (laughs) So... And, you know, it doesn't have to be like this formal, elaborate, ornate altar. I have, I do have one of those. I have a formal altar that's sitting right next to me, but I also have candles throughout my house and I have little tchotchkes and reminders of things um, throughout the house. I have my tarot cards throughout the house. And so there's always a place for me to have those reminders without it being like this an ornate, beautiful thing of an altar, you know, with the capital A. So having an altar is a personal choice and how you set it up is also personal. It can look like a table, a bookcase, a shelf on the wall. It can be open or hidden. I have for my formal altar, I have it um, kind of layered with two separate steps so that all of the 
candles and my cauldron and my wand and my deities are sitting on top where we can where they're on display um, and then there's a shelf under them where I keep all of my little boxes of things and then there's another lower shelf that kind of comes out towards me and it has some of my other tools like my chalice I have a singing bowl and I have my incense carrier and then underneath that is another little shelf that I have um, my Luthuelen books on the sabbats and some of my tarot cards. And then, like I said, I also have my tiny little altars scattered throughout my house that are informal and small. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of similar for me. I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, I have like the altar that's dedicated to our to my marriage with my husband and then I have like a like more practical altar that's in my office where I have all of the tools and things that Erica just listed so I have like you know my books that I keep together in a bookshelf and then below that is a cabinet with all of my herbs and crystals and things like that and next to it is my tarot cards and oracle cards and those types of things um, so keeping all of those like practical, magical working things all together and then having like a shelf where I can do the magical workings, create the spells, burn incense and all of that. And then having things around the house that maybe it would be a better term for it would be like a shrine more than an altar, um, like a reminder of something that I honor, uh, like the marriage shrine that I just mentioned you know, your altars can be really personal based on what your life looks like and how you practice. Yeah, you know, the most important thing to remember is that you should serve your practice and how you use it. Do you like to use candles and incense? You'll need holders and matches or a lighter. If you like to leave offerings for a spirit, spirit or a deity, you need a dish of some sort. You might um, want a representation of your ancestors or spirit guide or god gods or goddesses. So like maybe some nice picture frames to put those um, representations in or, um, you know, I have little statues that represent um, the, let's see, I've got Artemis and Eos Inanna are my ladies that I talk to. And then also consider you um, the tools you use the most often, the seasons and the moon phase and um, that we're in that you can represent and anything else that's part of your practice. And also, it's important to remember that it's not permanent. Energy is dynamic. You know, Erica mentioned moon phases and seasons, and those things are changing constantly. So your altar will likely shift and change as the things you're focusing are changing, the things that you want to keep on it are reminders of what you're focusing on in your life. And so those are going to change. I've said the word change a lot, but that's kind of the theme of it. So as the energies are ebbing and flowing, it's not really about being perfect. And we've talked about perfectionism in a previous episode. It's about it being a practical aspect of your practice. So adjusting your colors seasonally, you could add different um, cloths and things like that that are based on the colors of the season that you're surrounded in or the sabbat. Uh, you can add different rituals about the moon like I have a little teacup that actually our mom gave Erica and I matching teacups and she has one too and I have it's got a little um like 
snack plate, I think is what they call it when British people do tea time. They have like a snack plate and a matching teacup. And so I actually keep little um, quartz crystals on the tea snack plate. And then as the moon is filling, I move one crystal into the cup. And when the moon is full, I switch to moving crystals out of the cup. And it's sort of like a representation of the moon is filling and then it's waning um, as the moon grows and, and decreases. So creating some sort of ritual like that around the moon phase or, you know, bringing in elements of nature. If you go on a walk and you're noticing the changing seasons and the trees colors are changing, picking up a leaf or something like that to bring home and represent that on your altar. The other thing to keep in mind is that you don't have to change it either. You like if that's overwhelming to you and you just want to leave it as it is, then that is fine as well. I don't think I've changed mine in years and it works for me. Um, I have two lovely, beautiful, wonderful cloths that my mom gave me. Um, long ago I, I think we've talked about the comfort cloths in previous um, episodes that we were given to keep the bad spirits away um, and one I think was given so that that's one of them and then the other I think was given to me um, to wrap my tarot cards in but I ended up using it as an altar cloth instead oh I think I sent that to you oh that was a Maggie gift <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so it's uh, um, they've been there and that's where they live and they bring me comfort. And so if you get an altar set up the way that you like and it's functional and it does the job for you and the thought of changing it every season overwhelms you, don't feel like you have to. You're not a bad witch if you don't change it for the season. I promise. <laughs> You can include representations of what you believe in. Erica mentioned her statues for the different deities that she works with. So including something like that based on what you believe in. Um, and then just making sure that whatever you use in your practice is represented there. So if you have, like Erica listed a bunch of tools that she has, if you use those in your practice, those are good to have there. But if you don't use things like that, then, you know, don't put things in your altar that's like not going to be helpful to how you practice witchcraft. I forgot to mention one of my tools that I'm very proud of because I just got it. I was looking for a um, something to represent the swords because I have I have the four uh, tarot suits represented on my altar. I have the chalice, I have my wand, um, I have a pentacle that's being made for me by my boyfriend. It just hasn't been put in the oven yet. Um, but I got a, I wanted something that represented the sword that wasn't also representing violence. And somebody made the comment of the sword is about cutting. It The tool is for cutting. It's for cutting rope. It's for cutting um, herbs. It's for that's what it's about. So it's not about stabbing, it's about cutting. And so when I started thinking of that way, I found these incredibly ornate scissors that have a little sheath. So when you put it in the sheath, it looks like an affame, but it's not, it's scissors. So anyway, I was very excited about that. And that's my other special tool that I have. <laughs> I, love I love that. And I think that's important to mention. Um, I think the tarot cards that are swords, I think they often frighten people because they look really violent since a lot of times they show 
a weapon inside of a person's body or, um, you know, a fight happening with a weapon. And so turning, thinking about it in terms of cutting rather than about like fighting or hurting somebody and using this violent weapon is really important because the swords are associated with your thoughts and the intellect and things like that. Um, So it's interesting to think about it in those terms. Another way to turn it around is like your thoughts can really hurt you and your words can really hurt you more than a weapon. Um, And so like making sure that you use your words for good things and to help yourself and help other people um, and not let them turn into like cutting somebody or hurting somebody. Well, yeah, it's that phrase you're cutting intellect or you're cutting wit, you know, there, it means it's, it's piercing and it, you know, cuts through and is just, yeah, and it's right to the point, yeah. you know, no, no, uh, wiggly wobbly. It's straight and <laughs> to the point. So our little aside, but interesting information nonetheless. (laughs) Let's take a break and talk about our herb for the week. So this episode is brought to you by Dandelion. So Erica is going to, as usual, tell us about the medicinal properties, and then I'll come in with the magical properties. I have forgotten in the last couple episodes to mention the Latin name. Um, So I'm going to start again because I actually love this Latin name because it's fun to say. It's Teraxicum officinalis. And it just, it just is one of those words that I, it gives me joy. Anyway, it's part of the Asteraceae family, which is the daisies and sunflowers and all of that. And the part that we use from the dandelion, we can use the leaves. They go great in salads. We use the root, which uh, is really good for any kind of decoction that you might make. And then the flowers, those are um, also great for any kind of tea. They also will go in salads. They are um, edible. I think one summer a long time ago, our mom fried them. And I helped with that. I did it. Oh, Maggie did it. So (laughs) they were like beer battered dandelion flowers. And they were really, really yummy. So that's another way to have some fun with the dandelion. Also of note, same as the clover, which we talked about a couple episodes ago, um, these are one of the first foods for our friends, the bees. So try not to harvest the first blossoms of the spring and give them a little bit of time so that those bees can start their pollination process and start making their honey. So they are good for the liver and the digestive system. They can be used as a gastrointestinal tonic, which helps to um, tonify all of the membranes and muscles and systems within that tract. They can prevent gallstone formation and can even help to dissolve them. But if you're needing to dissolve them, of course, go and talk to your doctor too, but they can help move that process along. They are very detoxifying, again, with the um, liver and the gallbladder support. They can relieve constipation, and they are really good for um, if you're having issues with fluid retention to release some of that. They can help with acne and eczema and psoriasis, all kinds of skin disorders. 
and um, it's also really good for arthritis and gout, so they help with that inflammation within the joints. And there is some evidence that the leaf has more of an effect on the kidneys, while the root has more of an effect on the liver and the gallbladder. So just something to keep in mind there. We wanted to just reiterate again that whenever you're using herbs for healing purposes to make sure that you are talking with your doctor before um, starting it, especially if you are pregnant or trying to get pregnant or have any sort of health, autoimmune, anything going on because there are counterindications with certain medications, with certain diseases and disorders. And so just be cautious with whatever you're using and that you're thoroughly researching it, just like you would with any sort of medication or healing practice. Yes, because just because something is natural doesn't mean that it is not, it's not able to hurt you in some way. So making sure that you're taking all the precautions. So for magical uses, dandelion corresponds with active energy, the planets Jupiter, Mars, and Mercury. It is an air and fire element herb, the active energy there, and a Libra herb, obviously. So as Erica mentioned, um, with the medicinal uses, the magical uses can also be uh, the leaf root and the flowers and seeds. They are similar uses depending on which parts you use, but we'll break it down by different parts. So we'll start with the leaves. They, these can be used for summoning spirits. So if you are trying to communicate with an ancestor or your spirit guides, um, use the leaves in some sort of ritual. They're good for healing and for any sort of purification or cleansing rituals and for getting rid of stagnant energy. If you bury them in the northwest corner of your yard, it is thought to bring favorable winds to your home. And if you uh, add them to any sort, so one of the ways that you can use them is to put them in a charm bag and um, carry it around for those healing and cleansing benefits. For the roots, these are more um, thought to be associated with like divination and psychic energies. So that's probably because the taproot is so big and strong. And um, so it's like going deep into like the subconscious mind in some ways. So if you add the roots to a dream pillow or a charm bag for sleeps, it's thought to help bring about dreaming and specifically prophetic dreams or psychic dreams. And you can also bury it in the northwest corner of your house or your um apartment if that's where you live and that's thought to draw good luck so you can bring favorable winds or good luck if you bury it in the northwest side of your house or you could plant some if you wanted to and invite some bees over and then finally the flowers and seeds I'm sure people even as children whether you practice witchcraft as a child or not everyone remembers uh, blowing the seeds into the wind and making a wish and so the flowers are, are associated with wishes and the, like Erica said about the bees choosing the dandelions for a food source at the beginning of spring because it's the only thing available, the flowers are also associated with bees and so they can be used for bee magic. And Aphrodite, the goddess, is associated with bees or bees are associated with Aphrodite rather. 
So if you want to communicate with Aphrodite, using the flowers of a dandelion is a good thing to do. And since dandelions are thought to be like weeds or invasive species in some ways, that means that they also symbolize like strength and resilience or coming back after a hardship. They grow in the craziest locations. You see them popping up between sidewalk um, cracks and in the sides of buildings. So they're really able to grow anywhere. And because of that, you can use them in a spell or a ritual for strength and resilience and overcoming adversity and all those kinds of things. The next thing we wanted to talk about with altars is the different types of altars. I'm going to talk a little bit about a spiritual altar, which is considered one of the most traditional types of altars that were discussed. So it can be a structure where you leave offerings for religious and spiritual purposes. It acknowledges and it celebrates life. It honors your ancestors. You can use it to um, for astral projection as an anchor. It can welcome visitors into your home. It helps to invite spirits to commune with you. It's a place to pray, to meditate, to prepare for a magical working, to seek guidance for navigating your struggles and worries, and much, much more. So this can be an external place for worship, but you can also use it as a beautiful addition to your home as well. When you are creating a spiritual altar, it really helps to reflect on how your spiritual practice looks and what your intended use of the altar is. So we kind of went over this earlier in the episode, but understanding your belief system and what the purpose of your witchcraft practice is helps you to understand what will be useful to keep at your spiritual altar. So once you know that, you can add those symbols and tools and colors and art and all those other things that represent that intention for the altar. So that's all those things we mentioned before, like statues of deities and colors that represent the seasons and moon phase things and all of that. So the next type of altar we wanted to talk about is a secret altar. And that's just because some of us are not free to have an out in the open altar for various reasons. There's all sorts of reasons why you might not want to have an altar where anybody can see it. Some less obvious replacements for things that you might want to keep on a spiritual altar would be like something that doesn't necessarily look like a statue of a deity, but represents your deity to you or represents your God. um, If you are monotheistic or represents the universe or whatever it is that you believe in. So if you find a cool looking stick and it makes you think of um, Aphrodite or something, then bringing that home and using it to represent her or an interesting rock or something like that, that to somebody else might not mean anything or seem out of place, but to you, it's something meaningful. Yeah. So, you know, like I've talked about how I have the four tarot cards represented, which also represent the different elements. So you can still have that by maybe using a feather to represent air or a rock for earth and a shell for water and a candle for fire. These are non-identifiable representations of those elements and of the tarot. So you could use a color to represent each element, yellow or purple for air, blue or white for water, green or brown for earth, and red or orange for fire. And then if you do change things up seasonally, you might 
bring in a vase of flowers that are seasonal, uh, flowers or twigs or leaves or anything like that, that kind of represents the current seasons. And people do that all the time, even if they're not witches. You see wreaths going up on doors at springtime or in the autumn or in the winter. And so doing that kind of thing with a vase of flowers or twigs or leaves or anything like that um, doesn't seem out of the ordinary. So for me, like, I don't hide that I'm a witch. I'm privileged in that I live in a household that is accepting of that. I have grown up in a family that was allowed me to explore. Um, and so the idea that I had to hide myself has never been an issue for me. But one of the things that my family asked me to do was that they didn't want my altar to be in the main household because of friends and relatives that they have that they didn't want to make them uncomfortable in the household. And so while I have a spiritual altar set up and it is on display, it's downstairs in the basement in my space. And so there's compromises always that can be made. And then, like Maggie mentioned, the foyer of my house has a table with fall leaves and flowers in it right now to help represent and bring in that welcoming spirit of this is who I am. Um, but it's not on display all the time. Yeah. So it's kind of secretive and not like going to make anyone feel weird or uncomfortable for whatever reason. So the next kind of altar that we wanted to talk about is the practical altar, which is something that you might not have heard of. It's uh, just something that makes your day run smoothly. So even if you haven't heard of it, you probably have things set up already that help you to get things done. And so they're not very mystical necessarily, but they are very important to help keep you organized and keep your house running smoothly, um, whatever life demands on of you. So I do think it's important to still recognize that they are sacred spaces and they help to keep your things in order. That's a ritual or a prayer for order. Right. You know, we we always talk about finding the magical and the mundane. So these things that you do all the time are still rituals, are still sacred, are still special. The other great thing about practical altars is that they kind of double as secret altars. Right. They're there and nobody knows. Exactly. It's like, it's kind of a fun little secret too, because you're like, oh, I have this special place. Like an example of a practical altar, just in case no, but you're not following along with us. An example is like your kitchen can be a practical altar. It's the place where you store your food that you need to nourish your body and your body is sacred as well. So that's really important to have that sacred connection between where you cook and store your food. And when you organize your kitchen and your pantry and your refrigerator and all those things, preparing those meals, it's this simple, magical, sacred altar. Or in a garage or workshop where you store your tools and supplies that you need to mend things when they're broken or build or create new things when you need them. Keeping it well lit and orderly is essential to successfully completing these projects. So my craft table is an altar to crafting. And it's got, it's got my candles, it's got some crystals on it, it's got things that help me to 
build a sense of calm and sacredness when I'm practicing that craft. One thing I recently set up for myself that has made my day so much happier and more, um, I feel more connected to like the passive energy is setting up a getting ready area. So it's wherever you get dressed in the morning, wherever you put on makeup or if you have jewelry or anything like that, that you might do. It's a type of glamour magic when you put on these things that, you know, decorate your body basically, because you're trying to put off this certain image of what you want, an impression of what you want people to perceive you as when you get dressed, if you put on makeup, if you wear jewelry or anything like that. And um, even doing the things like putting on lotion and putting, um, you know, putting on sunscreen, all that stuff, I started putting all of that stuff together and turned it into this ritual. And it makes things so much easier because I'm not tracking down all those little um, things all over my home. It's all in one area. And that's become the dressing area shrine or the dressing area altar. I know that Kim has been trying to set that up in her room. She is living for a, um, what is it called? With the, with the mirror and the desk. Oh, vanity. She's living for a vanity in her room. She wants it so badly. She wants a place where she can sit and put on her makeup in the morning, just like that classic image of, you know, turn of the century women in their parlor room or in their bedroom getting ready for the day. So it's, it's definitely a place of, you know, meditation and, and getting, and that start of the day, it's a ritual all of its own. So definitely. Yeah. yeah. And also at the end of the day, taking all of that off, Yes, you know, taking off your day and letting go of everything that happened throughout the day. It's, that's part of the ritual too. Yes. Um, and then the, the last area that we wanted to kind of talk about for practical altars was in a living room or game game room, which is a shrine to active energy. So Maggie talked about the getting ready area as a shrine to passive energy. This is an active energy area. So it's where you host your parties and connect with friends and family and express yourself externally. And in this area, you can have shelves with all of your games on display. And, uh, you know, I know Maggie does that. And um, all of the things that make you who you are that you want to show the people who come into your house, this is who I am and this is what you can expect from me is in this living area Alter. So if you think about these are just a few examples, but I'm sure you know, you're you can be creative listener about the things that you do in your day. What are your daily rituals? Where do you read? If you read books, where do you set yourself up to read? Where do you get dressed? Where do you fold your laundry? Where do you exercise your body? Where do you practice basic hygiene, like washing your face and taking a shower and brushing your teeth? Where do you prepare your meals? Where do you journal or write? Um, where do you have a workspace in your home or even a workspace at work outside of the home, setting up that up as a practical altar? So thinking about whether these places are set up for their intended use and is there any way that you can be more intentional with how you um, engage in these daily activities? You might be surprised at how you've already set up these altars and how they've already sort of manifested because it's who we are and it's what we do. 
um, having these sectioned out places that represent the different activities we have in our lives is just part of, I think, being a human being. So look around at what you've already done, and if you can add to it, great. If you can change to it, change it in any way. If you can make it more sacred for yourself, then more power to you. Also, altars don't have to be inside. In fact, an outside altar can be very beneficial to a spiritual or witchy practice that is heavily influenced by the natural world. So when you're outside, you can connect with the nature in a powerful way. So if you have like a vegetable garden or an herb garden or a flower garden, that can be a wonderful outdoor altar. And especially if you're a green witch who engages in growing plants and using plants in their practice. Um, another example of an outdoor altar would be like an old stump. If you had to cut down a tree at some point on your property, um, so a secluded area of your property, or maybe a secluded area of a local park where or a public area where you could leave offerings on top of the stump, whether that's for the tree spirits or for any other spirit that you want to engage with. And, and finally, just forming any sort of relationship with the natural world, like a living tree, for example, finding a tree that you can connect with on a regular basis and observe how it changes. Um, and that can really help you feel really grounded and connected to nature. I suddenly got the image of uh, Scout and Jem from To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, and they are tree that they connected with Boo through. And all the little presents that he, offerings, if Aww. you will, that he gave them over the years. So yeah. um, I commandeered a Christian saint because they stole all of our pagans gods and goddesses and turned them into their saints so i'm gonna and sometimes made them really right so i took one back kim had kim and miles both had a huge statue of saint francis of assisi and he's painted and kim hated it she thought like it was ugly and she just didn't like it it was too big I think she thought it the painting looked gaudy, but when you look at it, it's really kind of subtle. Anyway, I digress. I told Kim that we are taking it from their old house and we are putting it at the new house and I will find a spot for it because I love St. Francis. I found a place for him. He And he sits over by my garden and he watches over the garden and his little animal friends come and visit him. And Kim, the other, a, a couple, like right when I moved him over there and the vegetables were starting to grow, she looked over it and she's like, he looks nice over there. So I was like, yes, success. <laughs> Putting little statues and things out in the garden. I think, it, you know, that's another way to be secretive in your practice too, because that if you're, if you aren't out, especially in your neighborhood, you might be very open with your practice inside your home, but you don't want everybody in your neighborhood to know that you're the local witch. Um, everybody puts statues in their yard and things like that. So having little garden gnomes who are earth elementals, they watch over your this, um, the spirits of your growing things and your yard and things like that. And I have little fairies statues that, well, our great-grandmother used to give us, before she passed away, she gave us little angels for each of our birth years, or like each of our birthdays, it had a number on it. And when she passed away, 
our uncle, um, our uncle Johnny and Aunt Karen, they took over the tradition and they gave us other little figurines. So I had like a bunch of little fairies from that time in my life and I put them out in the garden and they watch over things. So it all comes together. Secret altars, outdoor altars, <laughs> spiritual altars, everything can be done outside. As we mentioned last week, we are sharing issues that are meaningful and impactful to us during Libra season, and we hope that you will join us in advocating with Indigenous people to um, respect the treaties of our governments and respect water. So there is a construction of a pipeline in Minnesota, and it has already negatively impacted many communities along the Mississippi River, and there is potential for it to poison the water if construction continues. So some of the things that you can do if this is an issue that matters to you as well are to write and to take magical action and to donate. So you can write or call President Biden and the Minnesota Governor Tim Walz. If you write, draw a sigil or a symbol that represents clean water to you on the paper with water or blue ink. If you call, light a blue candle before you do and tell them the Line 3 pipeline is environmentally damaging and conflicts with treaties. So you'll find an example script as well as, an, as addresses and phone numbers in the show notes. And if you do wish to support financially, then you can send donations to Red Lake Treaty Camp Legal Fund, and the Venmo and PayPal links for those are also in the show notes. Then we also started um, talking about celebrating the goddesses from around the world this season. So for each goddess, we give you a theme to think about. Um, that she represents, and then you can create a ritual or spell or manifestation of something to invite that theme into your life. And again, I'm choosing from my Legendary Ladies Goddess deck that was created by Anne Shen. Our goddess this week is Sekhmet, which is the Egyptian god lioness goddess of destruction and healing. So your theme for the week is healing. Sekhmet shows you the power of breaking things down in order to rebuild them. It's time to do just that. She'll send you messages in your dreams about what will help you to transform during your next evolution. So Maggie, how will you invite healing into your week? Well, last week I pulled a muscle in my butt. <laughs> so I had to take off some time from exercising. I'd been getting, you know, much better with the getting the Apple Watch. If you've been following the podcast, then you know the whole story. But I was getting on track with, you know, taking better care of my body and moving more frequently. And then when that happened to my muscle, I literally couldn't move on Monday last week. And I had to like crawl places. And then by the time, you know, I started to heal, but it's been hard to get back into the exercising again because I took so much time off. It's hard to like get started again. And I also got off track with some other things like drinking water. I have a water bottle that has little lines on it to show me where to be drinking too. And since I was taking care of myself in other ways like icing and heating the sore muscle, 
I was, I didn't use the bottle in the same way. So anyway, that's how I'm going to invite healing in is getting back on track with those things that I had committed to is, you know, um, moving my body more and making sure to drink enough water using my water bottle. I think mine is kind of along the same vein. Um, it takes me a really long time to build a habit and I want to be a person who does yoga and moves my body. And so um, I'm trying this do something stupidly simple habit to um, move my body more. And I've taken up some leg stretches that I can do while laying in my bed scrolling through TikTok. And if I'm going to be laying there do anyway doing that, then I might as well move my body a little bit while I'm doing it. So that's how I'm bringing some healing into my life this week. So we also want to hear from you. You can go to witchwanderer.com and you can answer this question as well. How are you inviting healing into your week? What are you going to do to heal your body, your mind, your spirit, whatever it is that you are doing. Now, next week, our card will be the Three of Swords. And so Erica and I will be looking for um, moments where the Three of Swords shows up in our lives. And so this card is about getting to the heart of the matter. Um, it's the idea of logic triumphing over emotions. Um, if you look at the card, it's three swords stabbed right through a heart. So it's that idea of your thoughts defeating your emotions. Uh, it's a, And in that same way, it's about heartbreak because the heart is stabbed by these three swords. So feeling really hurt, um, discovering something painful, feeling let down, or feeling like you've been hurt by somebody else. Um, and also fears that emerge through romantic partnerships so jealousy fears of losing somebody and all those kinds of things so we'll be looking for those kinds of things in our lives or in the past or in the present and if you would like to share a story of the three of swords with us we will share that on the show just send us a voicemail to we listen at talkwitchcraft.com you can find out more about this episode by going to mumblesandthings.com slash blog slash 038. Join us next week when we talk about balance. Make sure that you subscribe so that you are notified about each new episode. And to help other witches find this show, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at Mumbles and Things and join us in the Mumbles Academy to chat about this episode with other witchy folk. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.